Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. We're going to do a bit of a retail roundup today. First up, it is RetailInsider.com editor-in-chief Craig Patterson. He's going to join us to talk all about the latest industry news, including the $225 million sale of a Vancouver mall and the appointment of a new CEO to one of the city's most iconic brand retailers. Then PwC's Robert Court, he joins us to discuss new research into how technology is transforming the retail experience for people. But before we get there, a few events to tell you about. First up, Cannabis 2.0, that's May 22nd at the Shangri-La Hotel. We're going to be discussing very much kind of the B2B aspect of the edibles industry as we come up to legalization later on this year. And tomorrow, May 14th, I'm going to be moderating an expert panel examining the phenomenon of money laundering in British Columbia and the possible policy measures to minimize its impact. Peter German, he's the author of the Money Laundering Report for BC's Attorney General. He's going to be among the experts, but it's going to be just a fascinating panel. I encourage everyone to find out more information. And if you want to do that, go to BIV.com slash events, BIV.com slash events. Now let's go ahead and speak to Craig Patterson. And joining us now to talk about all the latest industry news in retail, it is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. Craig, thanks for joining us on the show again. Thank you for having me. Well, let's kick it off with one of the most iconic retail brands based here in Vancouver. That is Mountain Equipment Co-op, Mech, as a lot of people know it by. Uh, We have a new CEO. Tell us how Mech has been doing, maybe how the new CEO is going to fit in the picture here. Yeah, Mac is really interesting because it's been innovating with its stores and it's been opening new stores. So um, they just opened one, uh, a new flagship in Toronto. Uh, it is actually technically their first new build flagship store and one's coming in Vancouver shortly as well. Uh, they'll own the building and uh, it'll be a wood frame construction. And uh, it's exciting news, but, you know, the David, uh, uh, the, you know, the, well, the former CEO, he, uh, you know, I think, decided to retire and has, uh, uh, but you know, the, the company overall seems to be in good shape. But at the same time, there's a lot of competition. And uh, I think, uh, you know, Mech is going to have an uphill battle. Uh, I can tell you that uh, Decathlon out of France, uh, it's kind of like say it's the Ikea of sports retailers is uh, in Canada and is planning a national expansion. And I think that's going to be their biggest competitor. Oh, that's intriguing. I, I'm not familiar with Decathlon and you kind of described it as the I- Ikea of uh, sports and outdoors. Uh, what What is kind of maybe their reputation uh, across the pond? Are they kind of a, bi- a big deal over there? Oh, definitely. In fact, they're actually the largest sports retailer in the world. And, uh, you know, a lot of Canadians may not yet be familiar unless they've, you know, spent time in Europe uh, my brother and his wife used to live there, so they were very excited when they found out. Um, they've uh, opened, I think they've just got the two, yeah, that's right, they've got the two stores open. They were both in Quebec. Um, they've already announced a location for Ottawa, and uh, you know, through the brokerage they work with, I was informed that uh, a westward expansion is uh, in the works. So uh, Decathlon, a little bit like Mech, um, you know, has a lot of private label uh, product they develop themselves. Uh, so they're known to be value priced. The quality is, you know, I guess at least reasonable. Um, the stores are highly experiential. So there's a lot of crossover in terms of uh, at Decathlon, you can try out bikes in the store. You can hike a trail. You, they've got virtual reality tents that you can look at. These are all things that we saw in the new Mech flagships. So, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, Mech is, uh, 
is upping its game the best it can to address all the competition. And, and I'm sure that they're, you know, watching Decathlon very, very closely. Well, do you think that the new CEO, Felipe Arara, he's going to have a bit of an advantage coming in, in that, you know, he's from Best Buy Canada. Like he's formerly the chief financial officer there. He's got kind of that you know, big box brand name know-how, will that give him, and he's very familiar with this market, is that going to give it any sort of advantage as they face more of this competition? I think so. I mean, uh, MEC has a brand awareness and it's also got a lot of experience in the Canadian market and it's doing a lot of things right. It actually, you know, it might seem a little bit odd that the company launched tours uh, like around the world, but what uh, MEC is doing is they're really, you know, engaging with their consumers and, uh, doing things that are experiential and, and sort of crossing that, uh, uh, you know, pathway from, you know, pure retail to doing something which is memorable. Uh, so, you know, I, I think definitely Mech has, has a uh, advantage, but uh, Decathlon has a global scale, which is, uh, you know, something to be concerned about as well, because, you know, given the thousands of stores that are around the world and, and you know, given how quickly it's grown and how popular it's become, uh, definitely they're going to be taking some market share from Mac in Canada. So uh, I'm sure it's already happening in Quebec and uh, it'll happen around the country. So, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, he's coming in at a tough time in the market, but there's a lot of opportunity for Mac at the same time. So, and perhaps uh, there'll be some points of differentiation as well as uh, the competitors figure themselves out. Well, we'll be keeping our eyes on that one. The other thing I'm intrigued by this past week, though, is City Square Mall. That's the mall that sits across the street from City Hall here in Vancouver. It's just been sold to Richmond's Sun Commercial Real Estate Group for $225 million. That's actually double its assessed value. It's a bit of an odd mall for anybody who's been in there. This very kind of strange layout. I've actually been lost there looking for a UPS depot to go pick up a package at one point. Um, Are are you getting the sense that maybe this company, they're more in it for the property uh, that's, you know, the value there versus the going forward and maybe trying to revitalize this mall? And maybe tell us a little bit about why this mall's been hitting some harder times recently. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was a combination of an awkward layout. Um, you know, I, I read some comments on some chat boards where people said that they, you know, cycled by uh, City Square, you know, many, many times in their life and never realized it was even there. So it's yeah. just not not a good thing for, uh, you know, someone to say about a, a shopping center. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it had, there's a few reasons why City Square has essentially failed as a shopping center. Perhaps it's a strong word, but... You know, I think that, you know, the awkward access points, the lack of, uh, you know, a real mix of retailers, uh, uh, you know, there's no shoe stores, for example, uh, uh, you know, to bring people in uh, from beyond, I guess, just locals that are, you know, say, working in the local hospitals or at City Hall. And, um, you know, just, uh, you know, a center which, you know, I guess could look a lot more attractive. Uh, I think all of these things have contributed to its uh its challenges. However, it sits on, you know, I think it's a 3.3 or 3.8 acre piece of land. It doesn't have some heritage buildings, but I think that it's going to be a redevelopment play. I think that chunks of this thing will be demolished and rebuilt because the amount of money that uh, the company spent for uh, City Square is, you know, as you pointed out, a lot more than it's worth. Uh, However, and I don't have all the details yet, but someone pointed out that, uh, you know, the Sun Financials had some uh, controversy in its time and has been involved in some potentially shady dealings. So it's mm. going to be interesting to see how all this plays out because uh, I think there's a lot more history there and it sort of speaks to, uh, you know, the whole real estate buying in British Columbia. And uh, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I can't comment too much only for the fact I'm not completely familiar, but definitely if you Google uh, 
the company, it looks like, uh, you know, there's, there's been some concerns about some past dealings and some investigations and, you know, it's Chinese money and, you know, how are they getting money out of China? It's, uh, you know, and I don't have all the details, but I think there's going to be more to the story as time uh, goes by. Okay. Well, that's another one we have to keep our eye on. And of course, Freshie, which is that big, you know, Toronto-based fast food, healthy fast food company in Canada, it hit the public markets uh, not too long ago, a few years back. But we're seeing, I don't know, signs that maybe they're not having the best time right now. Net income last week, it revealed that it dropped down to $100,000 U.S. That's down from $500,000 U.S. a year earlier. And those aren't huge numbers in the first place. What is going on with Freshie right now, Craig? Uh, you know, the company should be more successful than it is. I mean, it's addressed a lot of trends, you know, towards healthy eating and, and convenience, but I don't know if, you know, it doesn't seem like everyone is being receptive to the brand and, uh, you know, whether or not that the menu needs to be changed or whether or not it, you know, requires better marketing. I, I don't know, but, uh, I, I've been, you know, we all thought that Freshie was going to be the biggest and greatest thing in the world. You know, it got a lot of press coverage, uh, you know, over the years as it was continuing to open locations quickly. And then all of a sudden something just seemed to happen. And I think it's, you know, the financial reporting uh, uh, has been a challenge. And I, I don't know. I mean, I do go to Freshies sometimes, but perhaps there needs to be some sort of more of a streamlined process, even at the ordering. Uh, um, it seems to, I don't know, it seems to take a bit of time. Um, I don't always end up going uh, to Freshie uh, because sometimes the experience just seems a little bit off. So, yeah. so I don't know. And I'm not the only person to have said that. So I think that, Perhaps something needs to be tweaked internally uh, uh, to get consumers back on board. And there's also a lot of competitors out there coming in. You know, Copper Branch out of Quebec, you know, is a vegan uh, uh, restaurant, you know, that is expanding throughout Canada quite quickly. We're seeing a lot of these other concepts coming in. So I think that competition is also a bit of a challenge right now because we're seeing a lot of these other, uh, uh, you know, food providers uh, of a similar nature coming on board as well. And some of them are really interesting. Well, if I want to draw some very, I guess, divergent parallels with maybe the next company we're going to speak about. But uh, Freshie's CFO recently just left the company. And one other company that had a recent departure with their chief financial officer was Roots. But they actually have big expansion plans. They're actually doing quite well, especially in these Asian markets. Tell us about Roots' future moving forward and their big global expansion, Craig. I think Roots is a really interesting retailer. Um, it's kind of, I don't want to say synonymous with Canada, but it's really played on the Canadian branding, and I think it's done so successfully. And with that, it's been able to expand into other markets, uh, uh, you know, with that sort of almost Canadian branding. I know that it's also a Roots brand, but, what, you know, what the company's done is it's come up with, you know, good high-quality products at not, you know, super high prices. It's certainly not plain a luxury uh, price point. And, and they're starting to create these experiential stores. And the recently opened one in Boston that I was told was, only about 20% retail and 80% experience. And, uh, hmm. you know, the, which sounds really interesting if you think about it, because, uh, you know, it's the store isn't even there to sell. Uh, it's there to sort of create an experience for the consumer. So the, uh, the company seems to be, you know, really testing the waters and being innovative with this whole, you know, experiential retail uh, trend, which perhaps isn't a trend. Maybe we're just starting to get things right here now, but uh, um, you know, I think Canada has a great reputation and, you know, Roots has got uh, a history to it as well that, uh, you know, I think that the world would be interested, I think, to hear. So provided we don't imprison any more, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, you know get, get any more Huawei situations, sure. right? but, uh, you know, can, can, we're, 
we're in an unusual time in our history, but you know, overall, I'd say the Canadian brand is still strong. And and I keep you know coming back to Canada when I talk about roots because you know it's it's kind of like Canada Goose and a few other brands where you know you can almost uh, you know tie the country and the brand together. Well, one of the things I found it most intriguing when I was reading this story, this in-depth look at RetailInsider.com, though, is that Taiwan actually has more roots outlets than Canada does. I, I mean, what is it about this Canadian brand that really has kind of an appeal for those kinds of select markets? I think Canada's romanticized in certain parts of the world. I also think that it's an established franchise partner that has been very, very successful because I think Herschel has quite a few stores. Is it Korea or is it Taiwan? Um you know, Canada is seen very favorably in some places. And, you know, <laughs> I laugh because uh, there's one company that's, you know, selling mountain air in aerosol. I thought maybe not aerosol, but in cans <laughs> that you can inhale. And, you know, they're being they're being sold in China, which Taiwan is, I guess, part of China. There's some controversy there, but regardless, uh, uh, it is and it isn't. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, Canada, it's, yeah, no, I found that really interesting too. Um, however, I don't think Roots currently has stores in Australia. And hmm. they did at one time, like there were actually quite a few. Um, one of the reasons I was told Roots, uh, you know, did so well at one time in Australia, or at least Australians were interested, is because uh, I, the word um, is, how do I put this? Uh, it's another term for intercourse. And I guess that uh. was a bit cheeky and people found that to be, <laughs> you know, to, to wear something like that. It might've been like the French connection, United Kingdom shirts that we used right, to see right. where, you know, they, they appeared almost profane. Right. But um, I, something, I know, I don't know the history actually why roots is not in Australia, but it looks like there's a global expansion uh, uh, at play. And, you know, roots has had stores in the United States in the past and, you know, they seem to have retracted from certain markets and now they're getting back into it. And I think they're doing it now with, you know, a real focused concept and it's probably a stronger one than, uh, uh, you know, we've seen in years past. So, you know, I, I wish roots luck because it's one of those brands, uh, you know, that's come out of Canada and is successful, you know, along the lines of the, you know, Lululemons and Aritzias of the world, uh, you know, Roots is uh, in, you know, that sort of a class as well of, you know, international uh, retailers and almost represent Canada. Well, note to self, I need to get into the canned mountain air business. Uh, if I can make money off of that, then uh, I'll be sitting pretty for retirement. <laughs> well, Craig, as always, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. Stay with us. PwC's Robert Cord. he joins us after this. We're going to talk even more about retail. New research is out from PwC detailing how advances in technology is changing expectations around the retail experience. And with us to discuss this phenomenon, it is Robert Cord. He is the technology and consumer markets leader for Western Canada over at PwC. Robert, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, Tyler. So this new survey that you guys have out, it's highlighting the need for more focus on return on experience versus return on investments with regards to retailers. Tell me a little bit about this idea, this concept here, and how, I guess, retailers can tackle ROX. Absolutely. It's a, it's a really interesting one, Tyler. And return on experience is a new metric. Our Global Consumer Insight Survey found that measuring return on experience will help companies understand the return they're getting on the investment that they've made into parts of the organization directly related to how consumers interact with their brand. 
because consumers are so discerning, most organizations need to invest far more in that customer experience than what's being done now. And customer experience and employee experience, we feel, are pivotal to the success of any modern uh, retailer consumer markets business. It can be the main differentiator, really, between those who disrupt their competitors and those are, who are being disrupted by them. Um, and to your point, what can businesses do to enhance their return on experience? We feel by fusing that customer experience and employee experience is one of the main things. Customer experience exists in a feedback loop with employee experience. Invest in your employees so they can deliver a better experience to customers. And fusing that customer and employee experience is easier, really, when those two groups share the same values associated with a particular brand or organization. And the other piece is really focusing, you'll hear in our report terms, magic moments, focusing on those magic moments with customers to create that loyalty and build a relationship over time. So I'm curious, though, if I'm going into a store, is the idea that things are going to pop out to me or else I'm going to keep going and returning to the same store again and again if that experience that I'm getting there is something more than just kind of the average thing where you go in, you buy, you leave, and that's that. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And that's what we're talking about with those magic moments. Finding a way for your brand and your business to engage with your customer on a very, very personal level. It's bringing it back to that, creating that magic moment between the employee in a brick and mortar case and your customer so that they feel they're not just any other customer, they're the most important customer at that point in time. So one of the things I'm also curious about is kind of this intersection between technology and the retail experience and new opportunities that are opening up. One of the things that you guys highlight here in this new survey is that more people are adopting, say, smart technology. So you could be asking for help with your Amazon Echo or your Google Home. What doors does this potentially open up for retailers? A lot of doors we see, Tyler. This is about creating a frictionless experience with your customer and really meeting the demands of how they want to interact uh, with your business. And one of the items we've highlighted in here that we touch on is the voice-enabled tech. And we see that adoption growing and evolving. The voice-enabled technology lets companies gain another level of convenience into uh, the, the busy lives of their consumers. And the consumers are getting ready to embark on the next phase and level of convenience with items like an Amazon Alexa, connecting appliances, for example, with smart technology so your fridge knows when you're out of mustard and adds it to your digital grocery list. We're starting to see that evolution amongst customers. So one of the things that I do recall, though, is maybe concerns about, say, privacy, or at least the way that we should be handling uh, data issues moving forward. What do retailers, do you think, need to be aware of when they have this kind of access to technology moving forward? It's a double-edged sword. Um, customers want that convenience, but they also want an extremely high level of assurance from brands that you'll treat their data respectfully. We're seeing most customers are okay with data being used if it will complete their customer experience and enhance it. But that trust really needs to be built and is typically done through transparency. So telling the customers what you're going to do with the data and allowing the customers the choice 
for what you're going to do with that data. So giving them the choice if they want um, their digital shopping list filled or if they just want promotion sent to them or if they don't want any of it. So it's really building the trust with customers through transparency so that you can demonstrate to them that it's helping them with their shopping experience. And this just might be anecdotal on your part, though, but do you get the sense that there is much more willingness nowadays versus, you know, say 10, 20 years ago for people to give up a certain amount of privacy in exchange for that convenience factor? Yes, I think that that's what, what um, we're seeing. Customers are willing to do that. They're willing to give up a certain amount of data, a certain amount of privacy, I think everybody kind of is, is of the mind that their credit card data is out there um, and they're very willing to give that up. There's apps we see now that are willing to take pictures of credit cards and pictures yep. <laughs> um, of other uh, cards. So when you think about that as a customer, you're, you very quickly will do it. Um, do, the, do customers really know they're giving that up? I think that they do. I think that with the millennial generation, they know that this data is out there. They also are more um, more knowledgeable about da- data security and data safety than older generations. So I think that they're willing to give up more of it knowing what they know about data. I just recall growing up, you know, internet was still a little new. It was a little novel. And like the idea of, you know, putting your credit card information out there to make an online purchase is a little bit iffy at that point. But things have changed so dramatically. And I guess I'm thinking about my childhood once again when I think about uh, we had a huge family. There were four siblings, two parents. Uh, my my mom would often go uh, grocery shopping on the weekends, and that would be it for the week. And one of the things that you guys are actually tracking here is that people are actually more prone to a different sort of grocery store experience nowadays. Tell me a little bit about some of the trends that you guys are noticing. Yeah, this is one of the really interesting trends that we're seeing uh, evolve over the past few years, and it really jumped out to us this year. But one of the things is most Canadians don't know what they're going to eat before four o'clock in the afternoon, which is driving a lot more what we refer to as micro trips, five to 10 minute drop ins to to the grocery store. And this is really supporting a new dynamic, flexible lifestyle that Canadians are living. The push is mostly driven by the 24 to 34 year old range. Millennials and some Gen Xers aren't really planning their meals a week out, like you, you've mentioned what your mom might have done, um, and especially the younger generation. So we're seeing more stop and pick up food on the go or utilize things like skip the dishes, DoorDash are becoming far more popular, as well as the subscription meal services that deliver pre-made meals to your home. And for the younger generation, with home sharing, shared fridge space is also driving frequent shopping and a concern. So it's really interesting trends that we're seeing there. So I, I don't know, like if I'm hopping into like, say, a grocery store for, you know, a very short period of time, maybe five, 10 minutes or so, is there something that retailers can be aware of about how to, I guess, capitalize on that experience that I'm going to have, however brief it might be? Yes. Yeah, so and I think it really comes back to the uh, the return on customer experience that we highlight at the front of our report and it's really about making that a frictionless experience when you talk about sort of a five to ten minute pop into a grocery store at four o'clock you can imagine how busy that store might be and what retailers can do to make that transaction as quick and as fast as possible will help them drive loyalty uh, amongst amongst their customers 
Last thing I'm curious about here that you guys bring up in this report, though, is maybe healthcare opportunities, especially with regards to how technology can play a part. What are some of the experiences and what are people getting out of, say, the healthcare experience that they did not have access to just a a few short years ago? Yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting one that we're seeing emerge. And it's really around the convenience of having data and collecting the data and looking at the trends that come out from that. So if you think about a few years ago, we saw the emergence of things like Fitbit. But now you look at the number of wearables that are out there, the Apple Watch, the various apps that are available to track your personal health and your personal fitness. That is the piece to your point that wasn't necessarily available three, five years ago. And what that's allowing people to do is to use this information to adjust their lifestyle, to adjust their eating habits, to adjust their fitness habits. And it's very interesting to think about the impacts that that could have um, on, on Canadian retailers and consumer market businesses that are, that are catering to, to consumers. And the uptake that we've seen on these consumer apps, while it's been a bit slower to date in Canada, about 32% or a third of Canadians surveyed said they use uh, an app like this on their phone, smartwatch, or tablet. So that's uh, that's a rise of about 37% that we've seen over the past couple of years. And for me personally, I just like the idea of maybe knowing how many steps I walk any given day. It's always kind of a fun metric to play around with. And I think people can use it for more than just kind of the fun stuff that I was mentioning there. So it's very interesting opportunities that are coming up. Robert, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you very much, Tyler. That's Robert Core, Technology and Consumer Markets Leader for Western Canada at PwC. And that's it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share those with your friends. It's going to help more people find us out there. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening.